but yeah, like Hamilton Nolan wrote an article basically complaining that the discourse around the whole concepts of woke and like cancel culture are pointless and get constantly get bogged down in defining things. And I'm like, yes. Uh-huh. And, and, and then he, he's, he's getting to his conclusion about this and he's basically like, this is fucking stupid. This is a huge waste of time. And this is it's basically, you know, stuff that like we talk about. Um, and he gets to, and we can't expect politicians to stop taking advantage of this shit because it easily gets them votes. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and he's like, but we can expect a responsible media not to get caught up in it. And oh, so that, God. and I'm like, oh, come on. You were so, uh, you were almost there. <laughs> Where do you think the fucking media's money comes from, buddy? Yeah. Who do you think funds the people who pay their, just, the journalists' salaries? Like, I just imagine that that he is like, you know what? I've got integrity. That means everybody else has integrity, too. Yeah, the goddamn <laughs> journalist class is losing their integrity uh, because of this incoherent c- cancel culture. And it's like, <laughs> oh, man, dude, your criticism of cancel culture was fine. Your criticism of journalism on its own also wasn't that bad. But once you started trying to be like cancel culture is destroying journalism, then because <laughs> it, it's the same thing where it's like someone comes up and they're like, all of this cancel culture discussion discussion is ridiculous. The discourse is poisoned. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, that's why it's all I'm going to talk about that. The discourse <laughs> is poisoned. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? You're just, you're just buying back into the discourse, but in like this weird inverted way. And then convincing yourself I am ready that you cancel cancel culture. I will now escape the gravity. Well of cancel culture discourse course by only talking about it for months at a time <laughs> like what are you doing we're just gonna have to write a new piece of theory on the reproduction of discourse yeah <laughs> yeah the reproduction of disc or what is it um the the work of discourse in the age of mechanical reproduction <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> no now it's the the age of electronic reproduction yeah in the age of digital reproduction yeah apparently i'm leaving the microphone is at, at max volume um, huh. that's allowed, I guess. <laughs> the reproduction of your fucking voice in the age of digital reproduction. <laughs> Walter Benjamin running out of titles in the modern day. <laughs> I like the, yeah, like the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction, which is a great piece. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've only ever seen his name printed and I just assumed Benjamin, but that makes, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That's what I thought too. Yeah. And then I started reading, um, cause I took another interest in him recently and I started reading this like, um, aesthetics and politics collection and a bunch of it is like essays from Adorno and Horkheimer and shit. But in the middle, there's like two different sets of like memoirs that Walter Benjamin wrote about his time where Bertolt Brecht was on the run from someone and just came to stay at his house for a while. Wow. And they're some of like the most funny interpersonal commentary that I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Cause the rest of the book is like this dense theory about like art and politics. And then in the middle, Benjamin is just like Brecht had pancakes for breakfast again today. <laughs> it seems it's the only thing he'll eat. Like, you know, shit like that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> of banter. All right, well, welcome to the 54 minutes of hard-hitting news coverage from a labor perspective. This is 
work stoppage the podcast we are entirely listener supported so thank you so much if you've thrown us five bucks a month on patreon if you haven't uh i'd like you to consider it and if you can't afford to just hit us up in the discord and we'll make sure that you see or that you get an opportunity to access some of the special bonus content anyway speaking of the discord if you're not already in there it's a great way to stay in touch with the hosts of the show and see more content from you know listeners and ourselves and other things adjacent to it and if you could if you would be so kind my comrade to leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts we think it might still help people find the show we're not sure but the other (laughs) podcasts ask you to do it so we're going to ask as well Uh, (laughs) that's true yeah uh, first off we have something that we've talked about a couple of times uh in passing on recent episodes of the show which is uh activists and longshoremen in the Bay Area in solidarity with the Palestinians calling for solidarity pickets against Israeli-operated cargo ships uh, with a hashtag block the boat campaign, which uh, has been mobilized by the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, the AROC, and successfully prevented the docking of vessels operated by Israeli shipping company Zim, also known as Invader Zim, uh, <laughs> developed by Honan Vasquez. <laughs> yeah, like, so we, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, like all the, like, you know, actions around the world of, uh, of people f- trying to do their part to uh, push back against colonialism mm-hmm. um, in Palestine. And so this recent campaign that has so far succeeded, you know, in, in preventing this, uh, this Zim operated ship, the, the Valans, um, which was scheduled to dock in Oakland weeks ago. Now <laughs> at this point, just completely prevented from accessing the port because of the striking workers. Hell yeah. And they meant the other thing though, cause I'd like, this is a really cool action on its own part. Cause we, like we saw, you know, those workers in, in, in Italy preventing, uh, ships with, you know, weapons destined for Israel from, from docking. Obviously we've talked about the ILWU, you know, in the past, uh, refusing to load ships destined for apartheid South Africa. Right. But they mention in here that, in addition to the current campaign where they're specifically refusing to work on this ship, that this is campaign is like sort of thing has been going on for years. Uh, and, and that the, the local 10 of the LWU has refused to load Zim ships in, in the Oakland, uh, port since 2014. So Hell yeah. like there hasn't been a single one of their operated ships that has, is docked there in seven years. Fuck so yeah. like, that's just, I just, it's so rare. I think that you see a campaign of like, obviously we would prefer the campaign didn't have to go on that long because you know, it, it was met taken its goals. care of, right. But like to maintain that level of solidarity over seven years already, like that's, that's an impressive campaign. The one thing that I kind of thought was interesting about this is like these, uh, organizing camp, the, the Arab resources and organizing center being kind of, uh, right on this issue, be having having a very specific agenda, and then actually reaching out to labor where that power needs to be mobilized, and educating the workforce, and be, doing that education campaign to remind people of why 
you know, that sort of like blocking the the Zim boats is so important. And yeah. and the fact that I think that it, it the seven year cam the seven year like continuation of that process is really it shows what education can do when you have these you know they always say like listen to the people that you know talk that that are um, I guess affected by these issues and this is what we mean this is like when you say listen to people like these are people talking about like the apartheid in Palestine and and like giving education as to how when and why to do these these um these stoppages i mean i I think that that is a really good community that's that is community organizing that is real organizing and it's really cool to see this like be such a moment of international solidarity and not just a moment but like you said earlier dan a sustained campaign um because also the apparently the recent calls for action against zim have come from a call from labor unions in palestine uh, calling on workers and communities around the world to refuse dealings with Israeli companies. So it's just, it's really cool that um, even in a country like the United States where anti-Zionist um, rhetoric is very heavily like campaigned against as being anti-Semitic or whatever, that we still have these, uh, you know, actual on the ground labor movements who are doing the equivalent of like, you know, you hear a lot of people today be like, wow, I wish I was a communist during the industrial revolution so I could put sand in the concrete or sugar in the gas tank or, or you know, whatever. And it's like throw my know, wooden shoe into the gears. Yeah. Blockading ports against ships is doing that. Like it's just as good as those things, uh, if not better in the modern day. Yeah. Bo- boycott, divestment and sabotage, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, and, and, and to, to what you were talking about, Lena, like, I think this is also a great illustration of the political intelligence of a group like AROC because mm-hmm. you you'll have plenty of of well comp- very well-meaning groups who are trying to you know get similar goals achieved and it, and and their method of doing it is the way that we're told you're supposed to do this stuff which is call your congressman lobby your senator like do a small your- protest make a committee Tell your send you an email to your elected representatives so they right. can do nothing about it or say we hear you. We're gonna wear some culturally sensitive clothing on the <laughs> the you know floor of the house and then do absolutely nothing to help you. Like these folks went out to the actual like you know the workers in their community and talked to them about this issue that's directly affecting them and and you know family members and you know other workers around the world and they're like. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's do something about it. And they're actually putting this stuff into action while like, you know, you have every fucking democratic politician being like, Oh, we shouldn't hurt civilians, but we really like selling weapons to Israel. Right. Right. Well, it's like, um, I mean, speaking of like, uh, the United States representatives just shuffling off responsibility and then doing something symbolic. Did you see that they're trying to bring the poppy the little poppy pin that like British people wear in remembrance of world war one to the United States as some kind of like softer, gentler liberal jingoism than what we have already. That like, like in fucking enraged the, me. Does, the does Armistice Day re- one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, does anybody rem- remember the Afghanistan war way back in the day? Yeah, I, I know, right? As in, as in, you know, the one that's still going on. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they were just going to start. The CIA is like now they're pulling out of Afghanistan. They're just going to move poppy production domestically. 
clinch just start oh, yeah, growing no. their hair oh, when No, yeah, it's an it's an artificial <laughs> poppy that they wear. I think in Britain for remembrance of World War One. But I, as I was googling it to make sure that I had the the correct information, I did see that there was a case in Belfast where a legislator was removed from the legislation hall for wearing a poppy because it was mistakenly. Um, associated it was mistakenly thought to be associated with the first and second opium war against china and uh they weren't having any of that they're like how dare you brag that you got china addicted to opium but it turned out to be a misunderstanding and that the british are wearing the poppy for a equally stupid but slightly less offensive reason (laughs) (laughs) oh well speaking of stupid governments yeah (laughs) we move to brazil where there were Absolutely enormous demonstrations this weekend uh, where uh, 200 cities across the country had hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets to basically demand the removal of of the Bolsonaro regime, to use uh, the State Department's favorite language. (laughs) And the, the way that this has been covered is that this is purely in reaction to COVID. And it's... which. What if that was, you know, the case, that would be completely fine because Brazil has seen an weird that the most fascist state, like client states that most closely resemble the United States have been some of the states that have handled the pandemic equally as bad as we have, because Brazil has the second most deaths in the world. They've had over 460,000 people die, uh, and amid over 16 million cases, Right. Um, well, it's like shit. It's like the fucking mystery machine crew. Like, let's see what this Brazilian fascism really is. And they pull off yeah, the yeah. mask. And it's like it was American hegemony all along. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. It, although I do, I did hear some some theories on on like the idea of the Brazilianization of 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 the world. In that, like they like Brazil's almost a model of how to do fascism outside of the imperial core, or, or even how to right. per, like per, make make neoliberalism more pervasive in in places like this by using examples in their government like this i mean like they are literally doing like the united states thing of not taking care of people except for literally like i one of the things that actually sparked these protests because we talked about a little bit like covid is that they there was um documents leaked that showed that brazil literally turned down vaccines they they said don't send them here yeah they like um, China had been doing trials in Brazil on, I believe, multiple of their vaccines, but I think specifically Sinovac. Um, and it was, you know, showing quite a bit of promise. It was on track to get approved. And then, you know, they get one phone, Bolsonaro gets one phone call from the U.S. State Department about how, no, 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 no. <laughs> you need to get on board with the idea that these vaccines are dangerous. And so they spiked, you know, that big order that they were supposed to be getting. Right. And, and yeah, and then you see the results. You you have this this guy going out and like doing. I, I, I think it's had Pfizer COVID like two, three times know, at this they, point. They didn't only turn down Sinovac. They turned oh, okay. down Pfizer too. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, maybe I I probably need to relook this up, but. Maybe I think I feel like I learned it from death panel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, they just do whatever the state department fucking tells them to do. I mean, it's interesting that you bring them up as like a, 
an interesting an interesting example of what U.S. client state fascism right. could look like as its own kind of metastasized fascism within a, a country or within a region. And I had wondered for a second. I was like, isn't there already a country that's like that? And it's like, well, we have a couple theocracies uh, like Saudi Arabia and a couple apartheid states like Israel, but nothing that has a more like we, like we think of those as being in a very yeah we think of those as being in a very particular and very different from us kind of political position whereas Brazil does not have those stark differences it's much more like the United States in general yeah, yeah. Like even even a group like the BJP in India still has I mean not that the U.S. reactionaries do not have a theocratic you know right. core to their rhetoric they certainly do but I think like people think of them more that way whereas in like Brazilia, I think you're right that there's that more immediate connection culturally. Um, yeah, I don't mean to derail us. I mean, obviously, we <laughs> we we need we need we need to talk about these these protests and uh, and the reasons why, especially. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what I was getting at was was that like they they the, the angle that I've seen most of the media coverage on these protests from has been just you know an completely understandable outcry against the the absolute abhorrent handling of the crisis by by the state, but it's also been primarily led by um, trade unions and workers' movements in Brazil Mm -hmm. because, you know, as we've seen here, when the state abandons, you know, its responsibility to public health, even if it's in the stated goal of, quote-unquote, saving the economy, it still ends up destroying the economic, even if people who don't get sick, it still throws millions of people out of work. And so... Uh, the, these protests were also primarily being being focused on uh, forcing the state to maintain its obligation to the people during the economic crisis caused by COVID. Because uh, they, they had a there was a, a video that I saw from uh, Kostichan News on on Twitter. They were interviewing um, a leader uh, of the MST, which is uh, Brazil's landless workers movement, who was okay. talking about as part of the protest, they blockaded a highway um, demanding increased access to vaccines, but also and what he was talking about more often was uh, increase of, and basically permanence of for the rest of the pandemic uh, jobless benefits for people, because he was talking about how like, how many people in especially rural areas have completely lost access to any income and are, you know, it's all the the things we see saw here where you had like, you know, lines out the, like down the highway for fucking food kitchens. But in a country that is already like a neo colony of the United States and therefore already in even worse uh, economic straits. Well, and I think that that this is going to lead a lot to Brazil being the worst country. You know, obviously, like we've we've seen already rhetoric about like India having this great covid problem that we're no longer worried about the United States. Incredibly terrible response to this, uh, which is still going on. And then also, I I imagine that this is going to be used as kind of like border (laughs) strengthening because these people are from the the global south. And basically, this is going to be like, oh, well, now that we've beat the virus, we need to 
block all of the people from the dangerous areas with like Brazil or whatever. And even though it's going to still go hand in hand with supporting the Brazilian government and, and not and not actually supporting any actual like socialist governments. Um, and, and also it's preparing us for like, I mean, not that, that Lula is like the answer, but if Lula does get reelected, that that this is going to be another way that the United States can be like, all right, you know what? Um, actually, fuck them. I think I think it's just a it's just another another way that we're going to do more um, more genocide in the global south. Honestly, yeah, I mean, definitely we prop up the fascists in Brazil. And then when the fascism in Brazil gets so bad that there's unrest and like other problems there, then we say, well, look how bad Brazil is. We need to make sure they don't come here. And we use it as an excuse to to push our country into the same kind of turbo fascism that is causing problems for Brazil. So, yeah, it's all this. um, It's this self-replicating. I mean, it's just the same behavior that capital always uses, right? Which is to develop itself in whatever way. Right. Right. No, no. But yeah, I mean, it took me a minute to realize the old thing you were describing. So it's important to think of things in that way. It's it's capital testing its most horrific experimental structures on the periphery. And then once it sees how those works, reinforcing the fortress around, you know, the core it's going to be called the Brazil method. That's a yeah. Jakarta method. Reference. Oh yeah. The Rio <laughs> well, de Janeiro method. That, I mean, yeah, the Vincent Bevins does link the two countries quite heavily. Oh in, really? In I actually, yeah. really? I just yep. know the the general synopsis of that. I haven't read the book itself. Yeah, I could go into a very long tangent on it, but, <laughs> but we won't. But like the, the thing here was, I just thought like, it's great to see even in the midst of again, cause that's the thing. I think a lot of people here, have a tendency because this is how the media is portraying it. That like a, the pandemic is over here, which it's not, but B, even if you take that premise that like, it's also over everywhere, the, right. <laughs> because the U S is the protagonist of history. And therefore, you know, everything just goes along with that. But it's like, they are, it is raging just as out of control as it, as it was here. Like, you know, at the beginning of the year there. Right. And still, hundreds of thousands of people were willing to come out and demand this, even, you know, in the face of a pretty violent right-wing government that has a whole lot of right-wing paramilitaries uh, associated with it. So I know that, yeah, you mentioned that like Lula has talked about running again, but that's, I think that's what next year's elections or 2024 mm-hmm. or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something but like I mean, that. like whether, whether, I mean, not that, you know, whether it be too late or, or not or anything like that. I mean, I still think that maybe, I mean, wait, I don't, I'm, I know that socialism is, is something that we do have other ways of working towards and Lula will, does, will be a good step in that direction, but it is still kind of like a little social democracy ish, well, but I don't, sure. I, like I said, I don't like, and, I don't like shitting on, on any of those movements because I still think that they're important. Well, I mean, we can even look to the, to the more Marxist Leninist, like Latin American leaders for guidance on that, which is like, you know, Maduro has come out in support of Evo Morales and Lula time and time again, because is the you new know, Peru uh, guy. Uh, I, I know oh the, yeah. The, yeah, I know he was being described yeah. as pretty far left, but I don't know if that's a scare tactic by the Peruvian right wing or if that's actually, you know, joyfully true. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I mean, the, the alternative is literally the daughter of their former fascist dictator. Yeah, so, exactly. It's I a mean, pretty that, that's exactly easy it, choice. In that it, one. When they ask you, they're like, would you rather have like pink hard to tell if they're actually socialist or not neighbors? Or would you rather have out and out fascist neighbors? It's like, <laughs> right. give me the pink ones. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
Yeah, but so like the thing with with this upright, well, I mean these these demonstrations, um, right. because a lot of things have pointed out. It's like technically Bolsonaro is under investigation for impeachment because of his handling of the crisis. But right, uh, I mean. A, we already know so how bourgeois Trump. power structures work, but B, yeah, exa- exactly. So was yeah. Trump, ex- exactly. And it's going to be the exact same result here. Uh, but like we've already seen in Colombia, in Peru, in Ecuador, all over Latin America, like from the pandemic, there have been huge uprisings and those uprisings start with, you know, peaceful demonstrations. So like if, if, if Bolsonaro continues to like, kill this many people with these insane polit- like policies i think these you know peaceful weekend protests could turn into uh actual out and out uprisings relatively quickly right Let's yeah they hope. definitely could well speaking of protests turning into out and out uprisings uh we're going to talk about india again apparently the auto industry in india has been declared essential and a bunch of workers have been forced back to their jobs Many major international automakers operate in the Tamil Nadu state of India, and they make 1.7 million cars annually. And these workers have said, look, the conditions here at work are completely unsatisfactory and have instead decided to go on strike rather than producing these cars. So this is is a story from NewsClick, which is a really good uh, uh, progressive outlet uh, in India. Um, And... This this just made me immediately think of fucking Musk's goddamn Tesla plant that he decided was essential and kept open and got a bunch of the workers sick there, but on such a grander scale. Mm-hmm. Um, because they mentioned in here that like just at this one Hyundai factory, that in this current wave, over 750 Hyundai workers have gotten COVID and at least seven have died. Um, and that's just at this Hyundai plant. Um, and they, cause they, and and so in response to that, uh, you've basically seen, cause we've talked about before that, um, India has some, India has a labor movement that is from, for me, at least from the, 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 how how the labor movement has been in the U S in my lifetime is hard to fathom the numbers, (laughs) Uh, yeah. involved in, in in some of the unions there but um specifically There's more people involved in the indian labor movement than live in most states in the united states and so the the center of indian trade unions which is like a kind of a, like an amalgamated group of the of citu if you've ever been looking at yep. any of the awesome signs uh or i think that when we covered them in the um the general strike one i brought up the movie which actually profiles like some citu uh, actions mm-hmm. but yeah so they've been organizing sit-down strikes to demand that the plants be closed temporarily like while they are able to actually go in and put in dividers and 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 ventilation and and also just to you know give time for people who have already gotten sick or been exposed to quarantine they're 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 basically asking for shut this everything down for two weeks right put in the just the bare minimum uh, safety precautions that you have to put in and pay people enough so that, you know, they can eat <laughs> during those couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But huge shocker, there's basically been been no response from the local government who have said, well, yeah, this isn't good, but we got to keep the economy going. <laughs> well, right. and, and, 
And we have to look at like those numbers. I mean, it says 750 workers got sick and seven died. I mean, seven died quickly from COVID. That's right, what that, right. I mean, we have to remember that like those people are going to have lifelong, or, like a lot of those people are going to have lifelong repercussions from just getting COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. well, and the other thing they point out in here and to go back to, you know, what we talked about last episode, like those are just, those are just the, the people who have gotten tested. <laughs> those are, and those are just the workers. That doesn't count their family members. That doesn't count anybody they may have to use public transportation with. That doesn't count, you know, any of the other people they may interact with when they, before they, you know, are, know, know that they're sick. So like, I'm sure that the, the conditions at these plants are actually responsible, you know, for illnesses in the thousands. Right. And, and they had to interview cause they, the, this is mostly like, this was all a big like video on, on, on news click. And, and the people that they had to interview were all like, it's like, cause it'll be the little icons and they'll have the little interviewers icon. And then these people, it's just a blank silhouette because everyone the, there is terrified of retaliation. Mm hmm just for demanding that they not be forced into a fucking plague house. Jesus. <laughs> They've mentioned that like, cause Renault, Hyundai, Yamaha, Nissan, most of the major auto manufacturers have plants in this state, uh, in India. And those 750 who have gotten sick at Hyundai are one plant like during just this part of COVID. Cause that's the other thing. That's just from this wave. They pointed out that after the first wave, when, when 500 workers got sick, they, after the first wave lockdown restrictions were eased, the companies were told that they, okay, you can go back to operation at 50%. And the company's like, cool, got it. We can go back to operation at 100%. Got it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like our corporation. Of course, there's been absolutely no enforcement of that 50% gui- guideline because that, that's that's uh, their favorite thing. Always. And, and so it's been left once again, completely to the workers to solve this situation for themselves because, uh, you know, the, the, the government officials and the business, you know, businessmen that own them are profiting too much off of their, you know, grinding them into dust and letting them all get sick. But yeah, so they've talked about, there's been strikes almost like every other day at some of these plants and that, like they basically just intend to continue escalating until their demands are met. Hell yeah. Good. I mean, like we, I, I still have been following, like I mentioned the trolley times sometimes and they, they are like the farmers strike is still happening. I mean, right. like there's a lot of action still going on. There's, they're showing, uh, of worker power and there's such a huge proletarian class there. Like that's really like working in these factories or, or even like, uh, like some uh, more peasant or proletarian farmers that are that are much easier to organize, especially with a strong communist union base. Uh, I think that like, but also they have such a. I mean, I don't know. The exploitation there is so so like extreme. It's really yeah, I mean, we, really extreme. We keep seeing workers going on strike. Like you even have in the notes here, Dan, that workers at Nissan and in the tire industry in the same area have also recently gone on strike to demand temporary closure and establishment and maintenance of safe working conditions during the pandemic. It's like the conditions that are causing these strikes aren't slowing down. So, you know, even though it's for terrible reasons, it's not because like, you know, the, the striking workers are like, even when conditions are good, we need to strike, but it is, there, there is an obvious fact at play here that like conditions are not going to get better 
unless these striking workers succeed. And so they keep, you know, setting it up for more strikes. Yeah. And like, I think that the fact that they've re- that the workers here understand that like nobody is going to help them and that they've got to make this stuff happen themselves. And that's really inspiring. But I think one of the things that this story specifically, like I really think, and, and, and honestly, this is really anytime we talk about India and, and Southeast Asia, You'll hear people uh, oppose, you know, socialism, communism, et cetera, here because, and they'll bring up, look, capitalism has its problems, but it's not Victorian England anymore. Things aren't that bad. <laughs> not true. They are that bad. They are exactly that bad, if not worse. It's just that those jobs have been pushed into areas that the media then does not report on. And so you don't see it. Right. Well, and, and that's the other funny thing is it's like Victorian England is such a funny example. Cause that probably is where most people's minds go, but Victorian England was not even that bad relative well, to the fucking colonies such as India yes. that they were exploiting and colonizing at the very, at that very yeah. time. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and like, I, later on, we're going to cover a story where I was looking for a follow-up on it, and it just doesn't exist. I mean, the media is not interested in reporting this stuff. There was right. the, we're going to cover an action slightly later that was supposed to, that like happened Monday, and and the, there are there's no we're recording on Wednesday, the second of June, and there's there's no follow-up. The media doesn't yeah. care, and that's why you have to listen to our show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, which I know sounds like a dumb plug. <laughs> There's, I mean, like there are definitely some good, p- good podcasts out there, and we've we've followed like a bunch of like in these times articles or Truth Out, and there's some good yeah. publications out there. But that's that's a couple. That's like a handful. Like yeah. we don't have enough like institutional media reporting to actually get these inf- this information out there. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like when we're putting together the show, a lot of the times we're looking at like much smaller scale news outlets than we're used to looking at uh, just because they're the only people that are willing to report on these kinds of stories. Like for instance, our very next story comes from capital and talking about uh, striking teachers in Appalachia throughout West Virginia and Kentucky who have been pushing back against the school privatization movement there, which is, you know, school privatization is unfortunately a national problem that routinely gets treated as a quirky element of local politics. Like I saw it happen here in West Michigan uh, about 15 years ago. Because of Miss Betsy DeVos and her fucking family. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, because like this story is coming like in the wake uh, a couple of years ago. uh, A lot of listeners may be familiar with the Red for Ed movement. Um, that happened in 2018, 2019, uh, primarily West Virginia and Kentucky. There were, um, and this specifically like really usually is referencing a, a big 2018 strike where over 20,000 teachers in West Virginia went on strike mm-hmm. demanding uh, a pay increase off of their incredibly low wages. Um, and it was like, it, that was a story that actually did make major uh, media news and was right. reported by like you know CNN all those places and 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 because part of that was because in addition to it being a, a giant strike on its own um, like it actually you know struck a chord with people because in general I think people ha- understand how fucking underpaid and beat down teachers are and yeah. so you had tens of thousands of people striking with the teachers in solidarity and it got it and and they won a five percent pay increase and other benefits and now and so what this story is getting into 
in the wake of that, just a couple of years later, you have lawmakers in these states um, basically using- Yeah, union busting and using the opportunities provided them of COVID where there's, you know, less opportunity for people to protest things in person. There's like less focus on non-emergency related legislative action. And so you have all of these state legislatures and they're specifically focusing again on on, on Appalachia mm-hmm. pushing through these and I I tried to eliminate the way that it was written in in any of the like sections I brought for the notes to push, quote, school choice legislation, uh, which is a horrible phrase that I, I really don't like. <laughs> like well, it's, yeah. It's, what, what, it's what school it means, privatization. Right, yeah, it's privatization. We have to remember, like, there's there's always these things. It's like um, right to work, you know? It really sounds great, you know? I, I want the right to work, you know? But really what that is is actually a way of defunding unions. And then yeah, well, this is also just, uh, like, the the school choice. Me- they're like, oh, you get more choices. No, they just want private uh, schools, which are hard harder to unionize and often have way worse education outcomes. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, they always love to try and put the most positive spin on the most heinous things. Like school of choice should be an opportunity for kids who don't have access to schools to gain access to schools. Right. It should be like pulling people up <laughs> no, from the that's bottom. Not what right, it's doing. right to work should be a guaranteed jobs program, not right. an incentive package for employers to treat people like shit. And you know, it's just like the fucking all lives matter thing. Like if you just said all lives matter in a vacuum, it sounds good. Cause it sounds like what you're saying is like, there are people who's lives are treated like they don't matter and we need to make sure that they do but when you hear it in response to a particular statement like black lives matter it's like oh i see what you did there you sneaky fucking pr brained ad man piece of shit you're trying to turn (laughs) this around on us and it that kind of shit just gets like under my skin so bad it's the same thing as like the punisher and the cops and the thin blue line shit and all of that shit it's just fucking gross well and Everything involved with the fucking charter and even the term charter school, which makes it sound like this, you know, special, new, uh, non-bureaucratic, and therefore good institution, as opposed to just, hey, this is a school we can make extra profits off of. Um, yeah, this school is a like, subsidiary of Van Andel Enterprises Incorporated. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the thing is like true. all of this yeah. shit is just got the most focus tested euphemisms in it because because they mentioned that one of the things that was recently passed in West Virginia was a bill that created a program of, quote, education savings accounts, which any savings uh, account needs to get fucked. I swear. I, anything with savings account after it is just like a neoliberal solution to actually things like pensions and and guaranteed benefits. Yeah, and and what these will specifically do, and and even I, w- I will say even in the article from Capital in Maine, which is very much against this and is very much like in favor of you know um, public education and, right. and teachers. Uh, it was still because like they're dealing with having to use all these euphemisms all the time. Cause that's the language that it's talked about in. Um, but even in there, the language is almost upbeat where they're talking about 94% of students in West Virginia will be eligible to receive up to $4,600 annually to cover the cost of private school tuition, tutoring, summer school, special needs, therapies, and other education related expenses, which like, that's the thing that sounds great. Cause when you, if you just tell like, it's like what you were saying, John is like, if you just told somebody that in absolutely no context, that sounds 
great more money like, for education is it, yeah right. is it is it supplemental does it mean that you can go to uh public school and still get any of that oh uh no uh, no, it's actually what it is, is it's just funneling money that was going to go to public schools, which, as we all know, are, you know, horrifically underfunded right. already. And take that money, put it into a separate box so that it can then be funneled to all these various private institutions under the guise of, of being able to, you know, we just want to make sure kids can get the best possible education, asterisk. And the asterisk is without actually improving our schools. Classic right. Nazi privatization scheme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where did they get it from? <laughs> we were already doing it before Nazis even existed. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so one of the things that they pointed out in here is that because uh, they have the, they talked to the president of the West Virginia um, American Federation of Teachers, Fred Albert who said, quote, uh, normally teachers would flood the Capitol, but we couldn't go in because of COVID and didn't have the option to be there. And, one of the through lines from this article that I found very frustrating, um, and this is most, this isn't from the, the authors. It's from like, uh, mostly from elected officials, mm-hmm. uh, is the obfuscation of how elections work because there's this constant hammering of the idea. Elections have consequences is, is, is the line that they're, they're using of, well, Voters in West Virginia voted for a supermajority of GOP state reps, and those state reps are all for school privatization, which means that all the people that voted for those representatives are all on board <laughs> with school choice because that's how elections work. Yeah, and right. it, it reminds me of like like the the kind of misimagining uh, of of what's actually happening with like what what is it what's wrong with Kansas or whatever with just like this it's really good analysis of why people uh, quote unquote vote against their interest but I mean in our system there isn't any voting in your own interest you can't right. vote in right. your own interest there is no like party that is going to actually make your work conditions safe there's no party that is going to go out there and raise your wages there we don't yeah. have that it does well, not exist our, our politicians love to go on tv and it's like a talking point to gain support from us they say things like the american people don't want a handout it's like yes we fucking do yeah. all we want is for you to hand it over voluntarily so we don't have to fucking leave <laughs> for it you know or whatever <laughs> destroy your company or whatever shit i don't have right. to bleep on a podcast <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah no exactly uh i mean and that's it's just one of the one of these fucking misdirections that they use to mischaracterize how public opinion works. Right. Because like like you said most working class people don't vote. And the people that do vote as we know it's like people don't go read the fucking policy platform of their uh like state individual state representatives, they have their one or two primary issues that they vote on. And that's the thing they vote on based on that. So when they come out here and they tell you that we got this super majority and therefore the, the majority of the people support our policy positions, that's a fucking lie. It's, yeah. just, it's like, that's not elections and democracy are not synonymous. Well, they're kind of like saying like, look, it's a democracy. So obviously we practice democratic centralism. Right. Like <laughs> right. obviously right. there's a high level of coherency here. And it, once you sign up for something, it'll stay consistent for the duration of the time you signed up for it for. Right. But that's never been how American politics has even come remotely close to working, even right. at its most democratic, which has been frankly pathetic. Right. Because because no American parties have they've 
all that's the, one of the weird things about the U.S. U.S. parties have always been bourgeois. There's never been right. a part where they were like semi like nobility, nor has there been you know, a part where there's been you know a true like like grassroots membership political party as opposed to these you know like fake parties that are run by a coterie of uh, business elites and like wall street lawyers like the the democrats and the gop are both run by i mean that's an interesting point dan that i hadn't really thought of is that the united states has never had you know few straight up feudalist lords or like an an aristocracy or anything like the the ruling class here has always been random bourgeois uh, like quote unquote leaders of industry, just like great exploiters, like you know, yeah, like uh, m- like you had like the Southern planter aristocracy, sure, but it's a that's not quite the same thing. Well, because well, they, they weren't nobility, they were just a they were just a bourgeois aristocracy that developed around uh, right, the but, class relations of slavery, right, and so like that's the organizational structure that is coming out and telling you that they are representing public opinion by trying to fucking privatize every school in your goddamn state. Right. Yeah. And, and they also mention in here that the same sorts of thing is, is, is happening in Kentucky that they recently, they, again, they do these through these fucking technocratic legalistic structures where right. they created a tax credit designed basically just to fund the creation and maintenance of private schools, diverting $25 million from public fu- education funding. Isn't that the exact same thing that they did in Michigan? that the DeVosses tried out here way back oh, in the yeah. day. I mean, like, I remember, we were a model. Like, we're a model. Yeah, we're the model for the country. Because I remember when I was in high school, I was having trouble with my classes and my homework and whatever. And we considered that maybe for the last year of school, I should go to Black River, this charter school in the next town over. And I remember taking the tour of the place and it was very weird because it was like open classrooms, small class size, a lot of student directed learning. But then there was also like, I could tell there was this weird undercurrent of like, there's definitely an agenda at this school and it's Christian and it's, you know, and it's very much like, uh, we're trying to build the business leaders of tomorrow. And I think even as a teenager, I could smell, I was like, something smells extremely off about this place. This doesn't feel like a school. This feels like a fucking in- incubator for psychopaths, you know? Yeah. We want to talk about an incubator for psychopaths. How about bosses? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. This, this story, this story made me fucking mad. <laughs> yeah. This is a real, uh, this is a real angry one. I was getting pretty upset reading this myself. Yeah. like. So this is a story from Vice uh, reporting on some pretty fucking horrific new labor practices going on in the UK, where basically they're just taking as many workers as they can, who they've decided are getting paid too much, firing them, and then rehiring them at lower rates. Oh. Because they mention in here that there was a report uh, some research done by uh, the Trade Union Congress that found that during the pandemic in the UK, 10% of all workers had been told to reapply for their jobs at worse terms and conditions or be fired. Jesus Christ. They said that, like, in the past, this tactic had been used, but primarily had been brought out basically to try and break deadlocked negotiations, but is now just being used as, like, a general well, like practice and of, even then, of basically 
they're you're you're saying that they used it when they needed to union bust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like imagine if they were they were bringing out Pinkertons every day, <laughs> right? Because like that that's the sort of thing they're doing with this shit. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said. This is a this is a practice that's normally reserved for like critical junctures in like labor, you know, arguments or or contested labor situations where the bosses are like, all right, this is our final card is you're either fired or you you're fired either way. You're welcome to reapply for your job at a lower wage. And they mentioned that like, there's a, it's not just like, you know, small business tyrants out here doing this stuff like right. British gas, which is, you know, one of their big utility companies. Mm-hmm. Weedabix is which you know, big cereal brand over there also has been doing the same exact fucking tactic. They mentioned this one, this example, like, I don't know, made my head spin where I said they, but a company that employed bus drivers, uh, their employer go Northwest recently finished negotiations after their bus drivers in Manchester went on strike for 80 days to win the company's assurance that it won't use the, the fire and rehire tactic. So like they're, these workers had to go on strike just to get their bosses to say, we're we not, won't fire you and cut your wages in for, half and, and, for and three a months. short period of time. Yeah. yeah. They they basically they had to go on strike for three months to get the boss to be like, okay, we're not gonna just like fuck over everyone. Jesus Christ. Uh, and and they mention in here that like public opinion polling has shown, unsurprisingly, the vast majority of the public think that this tactic should be illegal. Um and even like members of the Tory leadership, including Boris Johnson, have said, Oh yes, no, this seems, you know, this doesn't seem right. But have done absolutely nothing to actually Oi, change what's the this law. then? Ah, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. sweep it under the rug, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they interviewed uh, this guy, uh, Paul Paul Scully, parliamentary undersecretary of state in the Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy. Or no, this was in a debate in Parliament. Who said, "Quote: Businesses in real financial difficulty do need the flexibility to offer new terms and conditions to save as many jobs as they can." And. And how many times do we we see that shit? Like, except I think it's usually in you know during negotiations and they're where they're like, oh, we can't we can't afford to increase wages with inflation because then we would have to cut jobs and we're just trying to save jobs, folks. Right. It's like they they're gonna tell you that no matter what draconian shit they're doing. And they they had some some quotes here that are like really fucking tough to to deal with from one of the companies that's been doing this because like the 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 primary example they use in here is this company jde branbury which is a coffee factory uh in southeast england owned by dutch company jde peets oh great um, <laughs> the dutch and they've recently been trying to use this tactic on several hundreds several uh hundred employees where they proposed well, proposed, I guess, is a bit of a euphemism. <laughs> they, they demanded that these workers accept re, um, reductions in pension uh, contributions, a loss of 12,000 pounds a year in pay. Jesus Christ. A shift to mandatory 12-hour shifts. Oh, so everything that's bad about working. So, so they said, we want you to burn down our plant? Is that what they said? Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, basically, yeah. Because, like, they've got quotes in here. Like, one guy who's been working at this factory for 21 years has said, quote, it's a life-changing reduction in annual wages. It's devastating. I'm in a state of despair, to be honest. Basically, it's a 20% cut in my annual salary. My pension has been destroyed, and I'm changing from what was okay as a shift pattern to a crappy shift pattern. And it's just, you do the same thing with another worker who's been there for 28 years and had been planning on retiring, but now has said, quote, I can't retire for another 10 to 15 years. That's just been snatched away. There's no chance now of taking it to 65 without any losses. Um, And, like, that's the thing, because even when you hear, like, a sympathetic, a a well-intentioned report on this, where they, they lay out, this is how much like, you know, workers stand to lose. And like, you see that number and it, like, that's really tough, but it's, it's, you actually hear from the people that it's affecting. And it's, it's one thing to hear this person's going to lose 12,000 pounds a year. Like that's a lot of fucking money. Like that would be a huge Im- impact, mm-hmm. even like regardless of change rate. But then when you hear somebody who's like, I was getting ready to retire and now I have to put that off for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I was just talking to my aunt uh, on the phone the other day and she used to work for like the, the bell lab phone company a uh, long time ago. They were a union company and literally like uh, three years before she retired, they cut tons of retirement benefits, which basically cut like $10,000 out of her yearly income in retirement. And right. that, that has been happening. And like they, and it partially was because of this, the disintegration of the, un, the strength, the strength of the union. Cause previously the union would go on strike and like, sure there would be scabs and all that, but like they ha- actually got really great concessions because they were a fair, like a pretty strong union for a little bit. But then, you know, as, uh, moved into the eighties and 90s basically the union did not stay militant it ended up getting co-opted by all of these like kind of more liberal plans to you know keep doing bargaining and all that and what happens is these people end up with fucking nothing they end up getting their their throats cut basically yeah because like that's one of the things that i want people to take away from this story is because uh not even like the specific examples I, i mean the specific examples are horrible enough, but I think like to connect to people, like when you hear a story about a state having to get involved in negotiations with workers' pensions cuts, that's what this is. That's what that's talking about. It's real. Like, cause like it, it's real easy for that to become detached from like what the actual impact is on people. And it's like, well, we gotta, you know, we gotta be res- fiscally responsible and we gotta do some belt tightening. And it's like, those are great phrases to say until what that actually means is people who are 70 years old who then have to go, you know, back to the fucking workforce mm-hmm. because you just cut the wages that they need to fucking be able to buy food and medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and they have a quote in here from the mm-hmm. company that says, There is an overwhelming need to reset Banbury Manufacturing because it is not competitive compared to other factories. We have been talking to Unite and our associates in 2019 about resetting worker working practices that have not changed in decades. Resetting. 
Yeah. Our proposals do not include any redundancies and redundancies. And the the current proposals see the majority gain financially with compensation for those who are financially impacted. The redundancies are important. They're designed to protect workers. Yeah. Like like that is it's not that's not it's not like unnecessary bureaucracy. This is actually just another tool that workers can use to fight for the better work conditions. Well, and like, well, that's I mean the unless thing. I'm it's... misunderstanding what they mean by redundancy. No, cuz we we talk about this all the time because when you hear them say redundancy, eliminating redundancies is the sort of thing where you don't repair jitneys in your shop because their hydraulics don't work but they can still sort of get around it's probably fine that's cutting a redundancy like for these people like cutting redundancies is when you don't hire people after you fire a whole bunch of people and you just ramp up the workload causing people to you know overwork themselves and die like that's what these people think of as like reducing redundancies well yeah so and, I want to get through our last two stories uh, uh, fairly quickly, but like if we're going to be talking about people basically being overworked, underpaid, and left to die, uh, we can talk about the story that I kind of alluded to earlier about McDonald's workers uh, at a Connecticut service plaza going on strike over Memorial Day weekend. Now, I, I mentioned that I was trying to follow up on that today. And, and trying to be like, well, this these articles came out uh, six days ago, which would have been right at the beginning of Memorial Day weekend, kind of right. uh, talking to a couple workers. We have a couple quotes here, which we'll go over. But uh, for the most part, there is going to be no follow-up on this. There is no one going out there to ask the workers afterwards how it went, whether or not they had any sorts of pushback from the company, whether or not they actually even heard anything from the company. We are, we, I mean, like... We we just well, don't know. And I had to go to fucking Patch to get the only article I could find that did right. actually interview anybody in Patches and even like a real outlet. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it, it very it's very frustrating. But yeah, like so this is a story because Lena, you had mentioned on the last episode um, the the way that workers in Europe, especially transit workers have taken advantage when they know that there's going to be, you know, a really high traffic time during the holidays. Exactly. And using that as an opportunity to strike because it's the, you know, it's the best point of leverage for the workers. And I just thought this was a perfect example of uh, workers at uh, one of the big I-95 service plazas in, in Connecticut, specifically in Brantford, were using the Memorial Day weekend, traditionally, obviously, one of the highest traffic times of the year mm-hmm. uh to go on strike to highlight their horrible working conditions you know we've we've talked about strikes in fast food you know plenty of times it's the same everybody knows all you know these people are ground into dust and pay nothing right uh, and, and and so like i think the quotes really speak to it they have uh, one here from adolfo diaz who's a worker at the service plaza who said, I've worked at various McDonald's on the interstate for 17 years and our pay has always been low. Our benefits non-existent and our treatment simply inhumane. I love serving my customers, but we are ready to walk off the job to stop McDonald's from its anti-union harassment. And we need the Lamont administration to do its part too and end this abuse. Yeah. And that rocks that, that fucking rips. And I love that they did it during a high service time, mostly because like workers are paid by the hour but then these companies make way more money on the days when they exploit the ever-loving shit 
out of the worker. So it's like when you are like, I work at a, a turnpike, you know, McDonald's and I'm striking on Memorial Day weekend. That's a massive blow to the company that you work for while still just being like, you know, the same amount of time not paid for work that you would have to endure any other time of the year. Yeah. And the workers at, at this location have been in the process during the pandemic of, of, of going, of, of getting, you know, things going to form an organizing committee to start trying to unionize their workplace and with the SEIU who have filed charges with the NLRB on behalf of the workers um, who work at this service plaza at McDonald's. But one of the things I thought was interesting that they pointed out here, this is, I mean, we, we, we've talked about Connecticut a couple of times recently, is that because this McDonald's is at a service plaza, which is on state land, and, you know, the service plaza is owned by the state, the Connecticut state government could just tell the operator that they have to recognize the union. Right. But, of course... You know, they have no interest in doing that and actually listening to their constituents. Well, no, because there's probably a fucking lobbying firm that McDonald's contributes to that helps them get reelected every year or appointed or what, you know, whatever their position yeah. is. Yeah. And like they could make that call immediately, but these folks are having to go through. They, they mentioned the NLRB has taken the company, the, the like holding company, uh, Mitchell Enterprises that owns this um, to trial for refusing to recall workers laid off during the shutdown as well as, as like I said, the, the charges of union busting. Um, but yeah, they, the, the union itself specifically notes quote that the state has the power to demand actions by McDonald's and all the other name brand outlets at the service plaza since the franchises operate on the state owned land to subcontractors. So they could, they could solve this immediately if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, like that would be cool. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I guess, uh, speaking of things that aren't going to happen <laughs> in relation to McDonald's, you know, they, uh, there's all, there's always this rhetoric and it's been going on since I swear I was in like high school or middle school about these, these automation, uh, like robots and shit that are supposed to like totally replace us. And then this right. is going to, we're going to end up with, you know, all of the low wage jobs are going to be gone and your people are going to be, you know, shit out of luck. They should just take what they can get right now because that's that that's, they're just going to replace you with a robot. Well, I think that we've seen how some of these robots have worked and uh, I think that we've come to the conclusion that they don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you constantly hear that shit about like. Oh well, if fast food workers keep asking for fifteen dollars, then you're gonna get replaced by a kiosk and all this fucking dumb shit. Uh, but I just like I thought this is a story from Wired where this is a great core like response to that because they mentioned they they interviewed this small business owner uh, Allison Yoa, co-owner of the Island Grill on the Jersey Shore, who because of the ongoing quote unquote labor shortage, uh, hired hired which is apparently a thing you i guess in buy i guess you can <laughs> yeah. hire out these robots i'm like wait are you paying wages You're to right. a company you, yeah. for a yeah. robot yeah <laughs> they don't they don't like, even you know, still own paying the wages. robot <laughs> yeah but um so they hired what is essentially a lidar equipped microwave cart <laughs> Uh, which is peanut the robot, which is an autonomous machine that shuttles ba- it basically it 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 moves trays and plates from 
the, uh, the dining area to the kitchen and vice versa by tracking little, uh, markings on the ceiling. Oh, lovely. That's not weird at all. But <laughs> they mention in here that it's a moving cart. That's all. So like it can't grab anything. It doesn't have hands. So it has to interact with another worker basically at any point. We're going to leave one it, worker stationed at each trash can just to make sure that they can move the trays from the top of the trash can down to the robot that brings it to the back kitchen. All right, uh, Johnny, thank you so much for getting your job at the restaurant here. Uh, I would have another employee train you, but we don't have any other employees. It's just you, me, and the robot. So just follow them around. And uh, if any of the robots are like, uh, I need to get around this obstacle, it's your job to just pick them up and move them. Uh, we would have you serve customers, but they prefer to be served by robots. Uh, the last person quit because we said uh, we wouldn't buy them a lifting belt. <laughs> Yeah, they because they mentioned that like the cooks have to load up the robot and press a button like to send it into a preset area of the dining room, and then the waiter removes the plates from the robot and has to you know orient it to send it back. Just get a fucking <laughs> conveyor belt with a fucking it's, who needs AI on off button that used to be AI. <laughs> but yeah, like, I don't know. I think anybody who's ever been to one of the various, like either Walmarts or various chain supermarkets mm-hmm. with those pillar robots that go around and scan shelves and bump into everything. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I like the details of this robot are very stupid and this is a very stupid robot. And I think it's important to understand how stupid these robots are Yeah, <laughs> because because the point of putting this article in here, in addition to laughing at a small business owner who thought they could replace a server with a, a robotic microwave cart, um, is that these threats are empty threats. Like, yeah, there is no like because they'll show you like there was after there was you know we talked about there was that video of that fucking warehouse robot that Boston Dynamics made that came out a couple days after the like or, or like right before the union election in Bessemer. But that's not what the majority, that's not what the actual products available are. Is this like, you know, do everything. That, that is the threat. And the reality is peanut. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a stupid little shelf that doesn't replace people. So if, they're, if you're, you know, if you're involved in workplace organizing and your fucking boss tells you, well, you know, you keep demanding all this stuff, we're going to replace you with robots. And honestly, at that point, you know you've got them up against a wall because they're full of shit. Like, like there's a there's probably a space at your job where there aren't cameras. You can just sabotage the treads on that thing. <laughs> like yes. seriously, like kill the robot. I think that I can yeah, actually I mean, say that on a podcast without getting yeah, in trouble. I mean, I, I'll just I'll just reiterate something that I've said before, which is that if I ever see a Boston Dynamics dog, I'm hitting it with my car. And you can just extrapolate <laughs> that to all kinds of like. Uh, you know, threats against, you know, uh, toothless threats against the workers that, uh, the tech industry likes to pull out as if they're, they're really leading the way on anything. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the tech industry that matters, people have been making <laughs> memes for years wow. and we are here to recognize them. That memes, right. the ultimate freeware and shareware. That's right. This well, I mean, memes kind kind of are like you know the completion of the language cycle. We started yeah. at pictograms. We went into all these complex code forms. Back to pictograms. Well, and it actually it's funny because <laughs> we're literally covering one which is supposed to be like an evolutionary photo of like the the fish coming out onto the land. Um, 
and that that's the first photo. And the second photo is some very distraught woman who's like holding her nose. Maybe he even has a headache or something. But the but above the first photo, it's a it says coming out of the lake, and I've been doing just fine. Gotta gotta be down because I want to walk. Yeah, you know what? Fish, cool, cool. Uh, started out as a fish. How did it end up like this? Oh, I was only a fish. I was only a fish. And this is suddenly where the woman is very stressed. And then yeah, why, why did we ever evolve? Why? And then this is where we cut in Mr. Brightside. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So two things about this is like, one, uh, this is again, basically just Douglas Adams, where he's like, you know, this all started when the monkeys came down out of the trees, which has been widely regarded as a bad move. And <laughs> some people like to go yeah. back even further and claim it started when the fish walked up onto land, which has also been widely regarded as another bad move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I just I just liked it because it felt very, like, at first I'm just like, all right, so fish meme, and then I'm just like, stress meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, uh, it's also funny because, like, you ever think about Mr. Brightside? That song was on the charts for, like, years, like four years, <laughs> I think. It was on the Billboard 100, and uh, it doesn't even have a second verse. The second verse is the same as the first verse. The guy's just singing a little more intensely. That's it. That's the only change. It goes verse, chorus, the same verse, the same chorus outro. What an incredible triumph of songwriting. It's two choruses, a song with double choruses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This next one is actually local to us. And John, you you might not know this, but this is like right by my house. You can see. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this is a Burger King sign that uh, has like the standard, like put the letters in to say a, a message. And this one says, who needs a sugar daddy when you can work for the king? <laughs> so stupid. Um, <laughs> but at least it's like, at least it seems like an aimless joke. Like, <laughs> I do yeah, like, like this, actually. I got to admit, West Michigan sign game has been on point since I got up here. <laughs> I saw a sign outside an auto repair place that said gluten-free oil change, and I about lost my oh. shit. That is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever read. <laughs> and I know some chud probably wrote it. Like, it didn't come from, like, a principled person who understands, like, diet and nutrition and yeah, stuff, but it was still that's funny. Fine. Like, that's yeah. fine. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if I have to choose between this or one of those, you know, snarky aviator truck rant ones that's like (laughs) that's like trying to be all clever about like oh do you want to like get out of your house and actually get some responsibility and get a real job well why don't you come in here i'll take the I'll take this, this over. Stupid yeah. sugar daddy joke. Please be kind to the employees who did decide to come in. No one wants to right. work anymore. Like yeah. I'll take this over that any day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did mention that we are in June, and we have not even once mentioned the 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 what Pride Month. That's what it's called. John's birthday um, month. Oh, never mind. Uh. <laughs> uh, this meme that we've uh, brought in is just like a classic. We're probably going to do this meme every single year at the beginning of June. <laughs> Just in a yeah, different way. This the it's a two. This is a two-panel uh, comic, basically, which is corporations July through May, which is someone with like one of those uh, where you, they shave your head and then they draw, they put a design in there with the little bits and, of hair that's left, and it's yeah, an yeah. American got, flag guy's with got a, a blue line. Yeah, oh, yeah. The He's got an, too. Under, an undercut mullet with room in the undercut to make an American right. flag to put a thin blue line in. Yeah. yeah, and then obviously, then the next one is corporations during <laughs> pl- Pride Month where the the rest of the lines are the part of the rainbow flag. Yeah, the and, flag, yeah, yeah. 
uh, we've said it once. Someone said it a million times. We might get to may- maybe say it a million times, but they're fucking like, I- fuck this. Fuck corporations. Not your the corporations yeah, uh, are not your friends. Look, no, go around on Twitter and look at Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin. The They've FBI, all got pride flags the in their FBI fucking. I did it. Yeah, pride flags in the profile picture. I, there was yeah. one from 2017 I shared where Entertainment Weekly put their initials over a pride flag for their profile picture. So it just had the pride flag <laughs> and then it said you across it. <laughs> and I was like, fucking nailed it, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, this, we remember that the, the whole like king of pride thing is a distraction. What we say is no cops, no no companies at pride. What is it? Right, really? Yeah. If we want a world where we don't have to make this joke every June, the only way we're really going to get there is socialism, folks. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, speaking of socialism, the people combating socialism <laughs> are in our next meme. Uh, this is yeah. a uh, a meme from the 30th of May. Yeah, like this isn't even really a meme. It's just a thing that happened in real life, but real <laughs> life is a meme now. Right. And <laughs> I could, I wanted to put this in here because... As, you know, an old millennial who went through the early 2000s of constant jokes about, oh, well, I guess the U.S. is going to invade there because they've they've got oil, which, again, correct, but not the most biting analysis on its own. Right. (laughs) No, but this one, it says U.S. Special Forces mistakenly storm factory producing machinery for olive oil during NATO (laughs) drills in Bulgaria. The owner has yeah. filed a lawsuit, and it's just photos <laughs> it's just, of a bunch of combat people out, in, like in this like part, like warehouse parking lot. Yeah, these 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 soldiers in full battle rattle. They've got their fucking rifles out, and they're like dejectedly strolling away from what they apparently thought was supposed to be, you know, a warehouse where they're doing all these drills to fight. Right the Russian invasion of Bulgaria. That's never going to happen. And like, instead they, uh, broke into an olive oil factory. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. That's just like, I, I talked about this on the bonus of BP that's about to come out, but there were some UK cops who thought that they had found a giant pot farm, uh, because they were oh, siphoning yeah. so much electricity off the grid, but it turned out to be a cryptocurrency mining operation. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, Hey, wow. Cops did a good thing by accident. By accident, one time. while they were trying to do a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, and then the last one is doing a good thing, I guess, um, which is actually just like your standard Capital Volume One Karl Marx meme, where they've replaced the the picture with something. This time, it is a tweet by I am Yella. I guess that's the mm-hmm. that's the uh, the kind of the sh- the what do you call it? the replaceable display screen name. the display name yeah yep. not a t- not a Twitter user despite the fact that I literally promoted every episode <laughs> <laughs> but the but um they tweeted jobs be forgetting who's in cr- who's in control bitch I'll quit right now and then just like <laughs> Karl Marx Capital Volume One just yeah like, that's right that's Work- right workers have all the power if only they realize it folks right. <laughs> that's exactly correct yeah well 
that is the episode this week. Uh, remember, we're entirely listener supported. We're going to be doing some more uh, overtime episodes with cool analysis from books and other sorts of awesome stuff. We got that lined up in the short future. Uh, join the Discord. There's a link in the description. Give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow John at Facebook Villain on Twitter. Me at Solidarity B. Uh, also, listen to Beep Beep Lettuce and Red Game Table. Uh, remember, Labor peace is not in our interest. That's Solidarity right. forever. Labor antagonism Solidarity. forever. <laughs> <laughs>